Okay, so great. Get get everything all installed, reboot, and then uh, I'm on a tiling window manager. And did you know that without right. a terminal emulator? Oh, yeah. You can't do a whole lot with that. <laughs> yeah. I forgot to install console, but lucky for me, I was able to control alt F2 and uh, and take care of it from that, that terminal window. Or, I probably yeah, could have done that. Yeah. Probably could have done yeah. done done the virtual terminal uh, thing, but I did. I just I had the stick right there. I stuck it back in and true root yeah. in and install Xterm so that I can do my thing. Yeah, easy peasy. And so those were the two mistakes I made. That and I didn't make any sub volumes, but that's okay. Linux user space, it gets steamy. Cover the kids' eyes. We discuss the king of gods. Something is jingling around. Our podcast and app suggestions help to openly secure things up. Hello and welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Dan. And I'm Leo for once. Yeah, you are. For every time. All the time. Every time. So, um, I recently got a new uh, SSD because, like, I'm running out of space here in my computer. So, I got a one terabyte uh, SSD and, uh, you know, I can put all my things on there. I'm, I'm actually... I'm putting a mix of things on there. So, but I am using ButterFS. And oh, uh, I, I pegged you for an XFS guy. Um, well, that that's very performant. Um, I so I'm told, but uh, maybe a little out of date. I think ButterFS has come a long way. Kernel support has uh, really, uh, you know, helped foster that along. Um, mm-hmm. but there are some things that I don't want to do the copy on write with, namely my VMs, which is one of the things that I'm storing on here. So, so you know, w- before you go too far, explain a little bit about copy on write. What is it about copy on write that you don't want for your VMs? I think because the files change too much, uh, you know, underneath. And, uh, you know, my VMs, I'm going to take snapshots of those separately with, you know, VM snapshots. Not, I don't need it to happen on the, on the disk per se. Right. At the disk level. So I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, uh, rather than avoid corruption. I don't know all of the ins and outs. I just know that it's advised if you're running VMs, don't necessarily leave the copy on write stuff. I gotcha. Okay. So I so, turned that off for a subset of, you know, a folder in, in there, if you will, that I'm storing oh. all my VM stuff. And then so that, I have that's some. Some, that's a pretty cool thing about ButterFS. So you can yeah. do these like file system level changes to just a folder. Or is that like yep. a sub-volume kind of thing going on? You can do on? that too, probably. Oh, um, so both. Probably the sub-volume bit. Well, I mean, a folder can be a sub-volume, so. Right, right. Very cool. And um, what, so a one terabyte SSD? That's not all VMs. What else are you storing on there, Dan? Why, why are you running out of space? Well, you know, I got some video files from this here podcast that seem to oh. eat, be eating up space, and uh, I want to come be able on. To they're store like them. they're like two forty p tops, right? 
Um, no, we're doing 1080, <laughs> but yeah, I get it. And uh, so, you know, that's a couple of gig uh, a piece at least. And then mm -hmm. uh, obviously the audio recording is is uh, eating up some space and I want to be able to put some of those on there. And so it's just kind of adding up. And uh, my main NVMe in this system is only a 240 gig drive. Um, so, I mean, it's it's fine for the OS and run everything on there, but. And then uh, ultimately, I'm probably going to want to store some of my games, you know, my Steam games on there, too. Um, right. Oh, so yeah. Can... And on an SSD, even on over USB, it's still so fast. Like I use Ventoy and dump ISOs onto an SSD uh, mm -hmm. over USB all the time. And just it's way faster than you expect it to be. Yep. Um, I mean, that that little that little and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more here in a minute. But that little bar, I mean, it just goes across. And I mean, it's yeah. so fast. It's yeah, so zoom, fast. Zoom. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's really cool. Um, I've also fallen in love with ButterFS. I think I mentioned uh, a little bit about it uh, in the last episode. I just, I, I like it. I mean, it, it runs a little bit faster on an SSD, which I think you're taking advantage of as well. Yep. Um, I've just recently taken to, uh, I haven't nuked and paved. It's on a separate drive, but I've reinstalled my main desktop uh, Linux Mint install but on ButterFS this time. Okay. Um, and it's just, it's super easy to get done. I mean, one big partition, that's what we were talking about. Yeah. And uh, it's it's done. Time shift immediately picks up on that, and you're able to to back everything else up. Um, and then with the Arch install, mm -hmm. I went in. So I'm in a little preview of, uh, of next episode. Um, yeah, same here. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I, I, I didn't do ButterFS on Arch because I love it. I did ButterFS on Arch because I knew I was going to break it. <laughs> yeah, and well. Snapshots are super easy to do in ButterFS and super easy to get a hold of and roll back just in case. So yeah. I've, I've fallen in love with ButterFS a million different ways. I think it's probably going to be the file system I'm going to be on for, I don't know, uh, the next decade or so. Well, maybe. I mean, I think support's getting a lot better. Mm. And, uh, you know, um, I. I went the same route. I went ButterFS on, on the Arch install. I figured this is a place to experiment is on these little it test is. setups, right? I mean, that's that's the whole idea is we try something different that we wouldn't have tried elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so that was a that was my first Fourier into that as well. So um, I didn't quite do it exactly perfect, but uh, I'm, I, I with ButterFS, it's very flexible. So I was able to recover. I didn't create any sub volumes to begin with. Like oh. I, I would have liked to have done a uh, home sub volume at the very least. Right. But and and honestly, I feel like having more sub volumes is better than less, if that makes sense. So that you're not snapshotting all the things at all the time. Right. And so one of the things that I did on Arch was uh, separated out var because there's a lot of stuff yeah. in there that you may not want to roll back. Yeah, do I really need my log files? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, in in home, um, you don't necessarily want to back up everything. I mean, especially um, like your dot files. That that's something you might want to back up, and right. you may not want to back up everything else. I don't, it, it depends on how you want to slice that. Um, I guess some some are backwards, right? I want to I want essentially copies and copies and copies of the files that I care about, not mm -hmm. the dot files. I want you know my pictures and things like that, just in case I delete one or break one or something like that. Well, so, and that's where I feel a million like ways you had to slice a that. bunch of sub-volumes, right? So you had one for your documents, right. you had one for your pictures, you had one yes. for... Yes. I think, I think that would be better. 
I don't know. That gets super complex out of the it box. Does. But I think this is, you know, like like with Arch in general, it's it's one of those things that, um, you know, you you set it up once and then you tend to forget about it. And it, but it just keeps working and working and working and working. So hopefully, uh, you know, if you go with a complex setup like that, you remember how to set it up in the first place, just in case something really really catastrophic happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at that point, you're once it's running. I mean, you're you're good to go. I, I think it takes a whole bunch of pre-planning that I didn't really put into that. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I got one thing. Uh, I have tentatively named this. And I, this is not going to be a segment. It's not going to be a segment. But um, this is my social soapbox. Okay. I, what, what I want. Here's the thing. You ever copied a big file to a flash drive? Mm, yeah, once or twice. And then you unmount it. Oh, and yeah. And then well, you're just unsure of mm. when it's ready. Like, th- there's... Well, then you just do a shutdown or something. Well, <laughs> right, yeah, there you go, right? That's totally the answer to that. And uh, the system will shut down whenever the, the file system is ready to fully unmount. Yeah, totally. But <laughs> that that's that's actually kind of it, right? Like, I, I remember installing uh, IOTOP. Mm-hmm. Just to watch and mm-hmm. wait. And now I've taken to using GNOME Discs because mm-hmm. the little spinny thing just keeps spinning. And sometimes you'll get the notification. Sometimes you won't when it's ready to to pop out. Listen, can we nip this in the bud and just agree that anytime you do a file transfer, do not allow the file system or any bit in between you and the flash drive to lie to you mm-hmm. because you move that thing and it's like, oh, look at that copying at 700 megabytes per second. That's a yeah. lie. Yeah, okay, it is. Well, in, in most cases, it's a lie. And if you trust that little progress bar, because we have learned in all of our 30 years of computing to trust the progress bar, it's done when it's done. Mm-hmm. Your your instinct is to just rip it out and go plug it into something, and you're like, "Oh, why is this file corrupted now?" Yeah. It's because it didn't finish writing because there's some kind of efficient algorithm thing going on in the background trying to say, "Don't worry, we'll take care of this for you later." I don't want you to take care of it for me later. I want you to do what you said you did, which is be done copying. So, um, yeah, yeah, you know what? Well, one of the worst ones is, and a really. It grinds me a little bit too. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Ventoy, right? <gasps> so ISOs are one of the things that we uh, are copying yeah. all the time, right? And yeah. so you think, wow, this Ventoy thing is great. It copies my file over super fast. Um, yeah. Except it's not done syncing yet. So yeah. it's not really done yet. Yeah, it's that sync thing that gets you. And I think, you know, with the SSD, I think you're using an SSD as yeah. well. For Ventoy, I mean, yep. it's way less prevalent there because the SSD is it so is. fast. I mean, the sync is so fast. Whenever you click unmount, it's easy. But the fact that if you've got even a fast flash drive takes a little while. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to bite you. It's going to bite you eventually unless you're watching it like a hawk waiting for the notification or whatever. I mean, but I mean, think about the way and I hate to say the word. Think about the way that it works on Windows. I have never ever copied something on windows let the progress bar finish immediately unplug it and immediately then regretted my decision to unplug it it was there because the thing didn't lie to you 
Well, so, you have to do the safely unmount thing, right? Or safely No, never disconnect. done it. Never clicked the button. I don't care. I've well, never clicked the button, Dan. If I you just really care, you really should be. <laughs> no. No. And, and, and the fact that I've never had to press that button ripped out the flash drive. And I guarantee there's going to be an email by the next episode. Someone oh, yeah. telling me, no, well, well, you really should. And that's fine. I get it. I understand why it's there because of the same reason that it's there in Linux. Yeah. Except that when you safely unmount something in Windows, it also does not take 12 minutes. Yeah. Like, you've got a slow flash drive. I get that. But... Even Windows will slow down the copy dialog to let that thing catch up, and what you're unplugging is just making sure the bits separate from the operating system so that something bad doesn't happen. But again, I never do it. I just unplug it because I don't care. Rufus, unplug it. I don't care. At ESXi, by the way, is really annoying. I couldn't get a DD going on it. I had to use Rufus. Whatever. Really? But yeah, I wow. don't know why. I, I, well, seriously, I did it like three or four times uh, with GNOME Discs, and it just didn't go. But the, immediately worked in Rufus. So. That's strange. Go figure. But still, the fact remains, I can unplug it in Windows, and I can't in Linux, and that really just kind of chaps my caboose, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not as smooth, that's for sure. You're right. Man. I, I get so, you. And, uh, you know, I'm just, like I said, I just shut it down. <laughs> so that's that's my plea to any developer that has any, any kind of uh, capability to change this, please. Yeah, save that Please. last ten percent and make it go really slow, so that you know Leo can know that you're syncing the file yeah. systems there. Oh, totally. You know, put it at ninety ninety nine percent and give me a little message that says syncing, and yeah. I'll wait for days. I don't care. Doesn't as matter. As long as you but got when something to go from. Progress bar is done. Mm. Yeah, when that progress bar is done, it better be done because I'm ripping it out, and I don't want to have to be nice and dainty and whatever to the operating system so that I don't lose my file. I want my files. Give me my files. All right, we've got a couple of uh, feedback items here, um, and these we'll, we'll we'll go over these a little quick, I think, because uh, there's just a couple, and uh, so I've got some comments. Um, this first one is from Matthias, and he says, "Reverse proxy." I looked at traffic, and it uses Toml. Yak. Then I found LinuxServer.io and their Swag container. Crazy simple reverse proxy solution. Try it. Hold on. What is what is Y I A C K. Is that I think it's yuck? yuck. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with yuck. Um, okay. Because that's what I think about the way they spelt that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No. Very well. I just read it as it sounded. I, I, think, I guess. Uh, to be honest, I think you're right. Yak is probably the, the correct pronunciation there. Well, but, I can uh, butcher anything. So that's for what, sure. What is. Okay. So swag is a reverse proxy solution. It sounds that way. He says he's used it for years and uh, has no issues whatsoever. Rock on, Matthias. And uh, so I said, well, my reply to that is fair enough. And thanks for the feedback. I need to check out Swag. And uh, that sounds very interesting to me. Um, but good news uh, about traffic. And it can use YAML to, to for its configuration underneath. You don't have to use the TOML. I know that's been a that's been a change that that's happened, but um, for most of the stuff that I'm doing, you can actually just pass pass environment things called labels, and you can set those up in your Docker Compose, um, and and that will just pass those along to the container, you know, the traffic container, so that you don't even have to go in and mess with YAML or TOML or any of those things. So I, I think this is a relatively newish thing that's uh, been brought about 
um, after the major version change to the 2.0 branch, I think it's 2.0, um, um, admittedly, the good documentation is a bit hard to find on traffic because I, I've found a lot of things that reference the older versions. And so uh. that might be, that might be a thing. So, um, I guess my suggestion is try it again because maybe it's improved. <laughs> And uh, I'll <laughs> also the way beat your head up against it a little bit more, okay, Matthias, and then you know well, you'll, you'll get it. You'll get I'll, it the seventh time around. Equally, I'll go try <laughs> swag and and see how that works for reverse proxy. So there you go. Speaking <laughs> of swag, check it out. Swag is stands for Secure Web Application Gateway, and I, you could nice. not have had a better acronym. This is amazing. I love it. But formerly known as Let's Encrypt. Yeah, okay. no relation to Let's Encrypt. Ah, uh-huh, nothing confusing there. Yeah, not not at all. But that's probably why they named it Swag. All right, well, I like Swag better anyway. Yeah, so it sets up an Nginx web server and reverse proxy with PHP support and built-in CertBot client that automates free SSL server certificate generation and renewal process using either Let's Encrypt or, oh, and, and, using both Let's Encrypt and Zero SSL it also contains fail to ban for intrusion oh, that's prevention. Nice. So the swag formerly known as Let's Encrypt uses Let's Encrypt. Not confusing. Not at all. No, nothing confusing there. But I do like that it uses uh, the, the, the tools it uses, Nginx and uh, fail to ban. Those are both good. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Either way, I think either of those solutions sound uh, good. And uh, yeah, you need something in front to protect yourself. Yep, yep. Whatever your flavor of uh, reverse proxy is, more power to you. Mm-hmm. So the other bit of feedback we got was from Lanternfly, and that was about uh, the GUI for the snap permissions. Uh, we had mentioned okay. that, you know, we I, yeah, love... I, I, gotta, I just got to say that... Uh, whoops. Yeah, <laughs> so whoops. I, I didn't well, know. We, we totally, had mentioned totally we love Flat know. Seal, right? Flat Seal's yes. great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, whoops. We totally botched this one and missed it. Um so uh, he says, I have a quick comment. Just listen to your most recent show and really enjoyed it. Let's remember that point. Let's just focus on that point right there. Yeah. He says, yours is one of the most engaging Linux shows I've listened to. I love the banter. Hey, there you go. Thanks. Uh, my comment is when you mention Snap doesn't have a graphical program equivalent to Flat Seal, they actually do. Whoops. And it's embedded in the Snap Store, Snap Store app itself. If you visit the settings for each app, um, you can see the permissions that it has. It says, I've actually, I've used this successfully to isolate snaps before. Anyway, thanks for the work you do. Um, just subscribed on Patreon. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. So, um, yeah. The, so, so the thing that we missed, right, is in my head, I just assumed Snap would have a separate application to handle mm. all of the little, you know, flip-flops that you would need to do to say, yeah, I want you to have access to this. No, I don't want you to have access to my microphone, you know, this or that or whatever. Right. And, uh, yeah, it just, I just had it in my head. It would be separate because Flat Seal is separate. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not separate. It's built in, but you've got to have the actual Snap store yes. installed, which I don't think. I don't think of installing it, honestly. Right. If you're on Ubuntu, it's there already. So right. you don't you don't have to think about it and automatically, boom, there you go, flip all the flip-flops and you're good to go. But, you know, I remember my time on Manjaro 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Where it's super duper easy to just say, yeah, I want snap support. And then you go snap install this and snap install that and just don't even think about it again. It's not there. So yeah, from it just did not occur to me to install the snap store. And then you would also get that cool functionality. But it is amazing that it exists. Mm-hmm. And I will backtrack and say that it does exist. <laughs> yep. And I don't think we're alone because I saw a conversation in uh, a Telegram channel just today that uh they didn't you know somebody else had pointed out that this does exist and that's where it is and uh the other person said wow okay i didn't know that that's the way that worked right so So we're not alone here it's not common knowledge i think that's something maybe i just missed it maybe uh maybe that other person missed it too but i i feel like it's maybe it's buried under all the snap controversy maybe that's what happened all the yeah. cool stuff just gets pushed to the wayside and everybody's you know mad about proprietary this or that yeah yeah so i mean it's there um and uh well thank you for passing that along lantern fly and uh we hadn't realized that and i'm sure many others hadn't either so uh, i've tested it out as well and uh i think flat seal has a little bit nicer ui um but this is certainly Perfectly functional, and uh, I think it's a great thing to have. Show enough. All right. You ordered one. I, no, well, you pre-ordered one. I did. It's starting to steam up in here. Can't you tell? Oh, my God. What? Dan, Dan. Just yeah, wipe that steamy. off. You it's need steamy, the, you need the little wipes to get, get it off your screen. Yeah, I I jumped all over this as soon as I possibly could. I actually, I the, the web page was broken, and I just kept clicking. Oh, my God. So what 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 did you get? The WoW stick? No, this is better than the WoW stick. <laughs> better than the How can it be better than the WoW stick? What what could possibly well, I'm gonna pay be more better money than for the WoW it than, stick? Than a WoW stick, yeah. Oh, okay, maybe that's So why. we're talking about the Steam Deck. Oh, all, mm, all hands mm. on here. Okay, so this is this is one of those places that you go, you put the towel on, you get all steamed up and you're on a deck, right? And then you sweat out all the impurities. Isn't that how that works? Well, you might be sweating, but it's not like that. Oh. So um, I guess the closest uh, analogy that I can come up with that's popular is um, the Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. Only this is for your Steam games. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I've uh, I've been a proponent of Steam for a long time. Really love it. Uh, it's great that it works as well as it does on Linux. And... Uh, you know, I watched my kids uh, play on their Nintendo Switch, and they love those things, and that's great. And I was like, yeah, that's a pretty cool device. Um, I'm not one of your kids, and I play on a Nintendo Switch, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I can see how you can. and <laughs> But I just don't have a lot of games that I would want to play there. I mean, I have a few. There's a few things that I've seen that, yeah, that would be fun to play. You don't, you don't, you don't just dream of the day where you can crush your kids in Mario Party? Well, that could be fun. Yeah, uh, I could see that. That that would yeah. be fun. Or, you know, um, you know, the Mario Kart thing. I, yes. I watch them play that and they, they seem to enjoy that. That looks cool. Um, Got to admit, those those games are good. Um, But I don't know. It's a lot of money to spend on something that I've got a different library for. Right. I've got all these yeah. games all built up in my Steam library. And I've said all along, if there was ever a, a, a portable device that could play all my Steam games. I'd be all over it as soon as it came out. And true to my word, I went out there and reserved one. Money where your mouth is, right there. Yep. Yep. Shut up and take my money. Yeah. Well, <laughs> seriously. So I'm I'm in the same boat. I didn't pre-order, though. I'm, I'm one of those weirdos that refuses to pre-order much. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there there are very few things that I would that I would put my money on before it actually exists, and they do exist. They just don't exist, you know, for everybody yet. Right. Um. But this thing is the 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 machine that I'm recording on right now. I already have an idea of what I'm going to do with it. Obviously, I'm going to play some games with it. Um. Because, uh, yeah, it's what it's really meant for. Yeah. But and as uh, Gabe Newell said, I mean, PC's superpower. Yeah. Is being open, is being, you know, used for whatever you feel like using it for. And that's the real draw for me. I've got a gaming machine that and I've got a really comfortable chair and I've got a special keyboard and a, and a you know, a gaming mouse that sprays unicorn puke RGB colors at me all the time. Sure. So, I mean, I spend a lot of money on gaming stuff, but there's something to be said about being able to play your games on the couch. And mm-hmm. this is going to be a way to do it. But the thing that really gets me is the fact that I can replace the machine that I'm recording on right now with that machine. And then when me and you are done, unplug the thing and go play, you know, whatever game I feel like playing. So I know it's amazing. It's amazing. super useful, super useful. I, I just um, uh, someone was asking on Twitter today um, and I responded, you know, is it worth it? It's four hundred dollars. And that's the low end one. The, right. the four, It's four hundred dollars worth it. And I'm like, yeah, it's a whole computer. Like, I get that it plays games. That's that's not that's like a honestly to me that's like a side uh, capability of it. The the fact that it's a whole ultrabook smashed down into a Nintendo Switch uh, form factor that does it for me. That's all. That's all I want. It comes with a screen built in too. Yeah. Because I'm thinking right, like I'll have um, Audacity monitoring and all kinds of things on the on the little Steam Deck screen, and then plug it up to my actual screen right here. Yeah. And just it'll it'll be my notes and everything you know it'll be your face Dan because I love your face right there on my screen yeah yeah you know all of that that that's it's super important this this is like a killer device for me so well um, convergence has been you know discussed for how long like I mean forever. a long time forever and uh, this is a device that is going to do that like it will deliver on that right it'll have your games plus you'll be able to dock it well i mean even though it's like a different style of dock i mean you'll be able to dock it you'll be able to hook it up to a monitor you'll have wired ethernet if you want you know the sky's the limit because it's it's a pc in your it's hands it's a computer it's a I whole know. computer and you think about anything that a dock can do um well basically all of those options are now wide open you know everything's available to you there so yep. that's that's really cool um, to have such a convergent device that, uh, you know, and it's going to focus on games, which is great. And it runs Linux, by the way. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. It's going to be Arch. So, yeah, that's fantastic. So let, let's let's run down this real quick. We got a AMD Zen 2 based CPU with four cores, eight threads, uh, GPU, um, eight RDNA 2 compute units, 16 gigs of RAM. Dan, 16 gigs, 16. 16 of them. Yeah, but 16 not, gigs. Just, not just RAM, it's DDR5 RAM. LP DDR5. So we're talking low latency, close to the CPU stuff that. Like, this is it, the stuff that sits on graphics processors because uh, it's fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the low end model, you get a 64 gig eMMC. Um, the mid tier model is a 256 gig NVMe. And the high tier model is a 512 gig SSD. They all come with a seven-inch screen, twenty eighty by or uh, twelve eighty by eight hundred. So for sixteen 
by 10 aspect ratio. Right. And if you get the Big Mama Jamma, it comes with anti-glare etched glass, which um, if you go watch the Linus Tech, the Linus Tech Tips uh, video mm -hmm. on this one, they, they kind of give a you know left and right um, side by side view of it. I don't think it's absolutely necessary to get the etched glass that kind of reduces glare, but I mean it sure is nice. Well, I thought it was necessary, so that was the one I reserved. <laughs> there you go. And the, I think the killer feature, right? I mean, if if you're not married to Nintendo games, the, the mm -hmm. games that come on Which Nintendo, I'm not. You, just, you like the, the form factor, though, and you like the portability of it, this is going to come with Bluetooth. This is the mm -hmm. one thing that people were asking for in, on, in Nintendo circles. Could you please add Bluetooth to the Switch so that we can put in external headphones? Right. Yeah, like and, and the one with the OLED display is that, that's coming out like soon. Yeah, you would figure that should have blue. No, not gonna have Bluetooth. Didn't. So nope, not yeah. happening. Right, but the Steam Deck does, and you'll be able to like these headphones right here. Just yeah, easy peasy. I know. Oh man, that'll be nice. So, so I'm I'm excited. Um, I think me, I'm gonna wait for that first initial batch to roll out. Everybody to give their thoughts on it, uh, because I always feel like new hardware like this always has a kink or two in mm -hmm. it on release. That you know, not not uh, game changing kind of things or whatever. But I would like everything when I buy it, especially when I'm spending six hundred and fifty dollars on a device. I want it to be as close to perfect as I can possibly get. So I'm gonna wait for revision two, batch two, when yeah. uh, you know. Well, that's when... fair enough. But I think this is gonna be pretty good out of the box. Like I, I, the I specs are really good, and uh, everybody that's had their hands on one has said it's darn excellent. And those are not the actual shipping models; they're they're just you know pre-production yeah. models, right? Right. That that don't have all the features enabled. That still need additional engineering to make them you know ship worthy. It's already getting all kinds of hype. So I know. What, what do you think about this? Because on the back of this, we had the report a while back of um, Linux usage hitting 1% on yep. Steam. I, so, it's got to drive that number up. And I, feel, I feel like a little bit of the hype is behind some of that. Um, and uh, yeah, well, no, it's got to drive the number up, though. It really does, especially since Valve has announced that they're going to try to get to 100% uh, compatibility for everything that's in the Steam library to that's run on this thing. That's the thing. Think about that. What? <laughs> really? I mean, we're, we're talking like AAA games, all that we, kind of stuff just being available day one. On... Even if they only get to like 99.9%, .9%, that's still right. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for just, just, just the ability for them to go out there and be like, oh, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever you want to play, just it'll play. My you know, okay, we have a small list of games over here that just that we're not we're working on. They're not ready yet or whatever. But um, the fact that yeah, everything else just works is oh man, man. So I know. Um, side topic: What do you think about Proton though? I mean, in general, okay. We had this. This is actually one of the very first things that I had ever remembered about as far as controversy and Proton goes. You had quite a few vocal folks saying that with the advent of Proton, it will destroy the care for developers to develop games for Linux. They'll just develop them for Windows and, you know, everything will just be gone through Proton. And that's going to yeah, be I mean, detrimental be to Linux. Yeah, they'll be developing them for Proton, though, you got to think. And well, I know Windows is the thing, but they're going to make sure it works there because 
valve is starting to push these things into people's hands, I, I've got to believe that that's got to have some sort of impact on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, what what I think is going to happen is it's going to take longer than we than we wanted uh, as far as Proton goes. Because, you know, I think in the Linux community, we expected Proton to be the stepping stone before mm-hmm. you get to the fact that you want real Linux games, like native Linux games. But I, I think I, I think it's going to take longer. I don't think anything has changed. I just think that the whole reason Proton existed in the first place was to was to make Steam OS and all these other things work right. That's um, true. With, without anybody having to think about it, and I mean, d- even 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 after that, even even if we never make it to the point where all the Linux games are native, I mean, think about how many people said that. Oh, I would I wouldn't actually go to Linux because um, I can't play my games. Right. So, yeah. So. This is this, this is going to nullifies turn that. that whole argument. Yeah. So I mean, not that that that's the killer feature and that'll bring everybody over or anything like that. But it's well, it's the and fact if you get if you even if you don't get everybody, even if you just turn the tide and you get you get a bunch of people um, kind of shifting this way, at some point in time they're going to realize that it'll it'll improve performance and people yeah. will be happier and and it, maybe then then it will follow. Right. Right. I, I think I think it's just going to be one of those things that it's going to take a little longer than we expected. Yeah. Um, Proton's still going to be that stepping stone. And I guarantee you when when these developers see that the number of Linux users is going up and up and up and up, um, I, I don't know that uh, they wouldn't just say, let's spin up a Linux version of this game. I mean, but even if I that's not the case, I'm OK yeah. with it. Same here. And I think some of that depends on how much it takes, you know, how much effort it takes to, to translate things over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It might not be, it might not be hard at all. It depends on your game, right? I mean, if you're using something like Godot, it's, it's just a couple of clicks and a little bit of troubleshooting to figure out what's, you know, why the Linux version doesn't work or whatever. Right. Uh, same with uh, Unity, if I'm not mistaken. Unity. You can, yeah. I think you can Unity spin up a well. Unity version of your game in Linux as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these languages are already gearing up for the fact that Linux is an actual platform that you want to put actual games on. Right. But yeah, e- even even in the uh, in the non-existence of that, I still think it's fine because I think Linux is a platform yeah. that I mean, Steam built Proton for Linux. There's no other place they to use. They did that Proton. on purpose. They didn't put Windows on this box, right? Right. They they put it on Linux and uh, they gave that the you know, the pedestal that it needs, I think, to get things, uh, you know, lifted up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm, I, I'm I am too. super excited. Go, go, Proton. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so um, next up is is an exciting announcement from uh, from an, a, a distro. And uh, I know you're you're gushing over there, Leo. Um, I can tell. And uh, mm. really mm-hmm. excited for it. And this will be something that we we plan to test and and run for a little while in the future. Um, Look, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be real honest with you, listeners of this show or watchers of our YouTube. Um, (laughs) We've been waiting for a while. Get real with me, Leo. Get real. (laughs) Look, look, we... Elementary OS was Mm -hmm. one of the very first distros that we had ever discussed to talk about on this show, but we said... Well, you know, Elementary OS 6 is right around the corner. I mean, we're yeah. talking like episode four of yeah. the and, show. 
and you've been salivating since then. I've been waiting. Oh, I've been so patient. I haven't said anything negative about anything about not not nothing. No, okay. Never. Well, I'll take that back. The colonel's really old. But, you know, th- there's very little that that um that I haven't been patient for. So, I'm I'm super excited about this. We finally get to be true to ourselves and actually put elementary OS on the list of distros we can actually test cuz we didn't want to test 5. It's been out for forever. We wanted to test 6 because we thought well, the new shiny. Ago. We want the new shiny. Yeah. I mean, a year ago. We thought a year mm-hmm. ago that it was just right around the corner. Hey, we but did. it released. It's released. It's here. There's so much in it. I mean, this this really is a um, major revision, you know, going from 5 to 6. It not is. 5.1, not 5.2. This is a true blue, real revision of elementary OS. There's so much jam-packed into this. I, we're not going to have time to talk about it all. No, but it's a big jump, and uh, we've been following along. Well, I've been following along, and uh, it's been a lot of hype along the way, which is good. Um, so you know, we're all we're all getting excited for the things that are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's not my 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 distro of choice, um, it's gonna be. Watch, Dan. I'm, Dan, I'm excited about the things watch. it brings. Watch, you're gonna be you're gonna be an elementary guy well, for here a pretty month. Soon. I'm gonna do it for a month. I'm you're not right. saying which month, but yeah, a month I'll be there. Right, right. So the one of one of one of my favorite things, the thing that caught me right off the right off the bat was my favorite welcome feature in Linux Mint now exists in Elementary OS. So in the welcome screen, right when you're getting started, you get to choose light or dark style, mm-hmm. and even better, you get to choose your accent color. Because yeah. don't get me wrong, I love my minty green and all that. But yeah. I swapped to blue. Uh, just nice. Honestly, that's probably Windows' fault. But I swapped to blue pretty much right off the bat, and I think I would I would most likely do the same exact thing in Elementary OS. But it's right there in the welcome screen. You don't have to go digging. You don't have to you know search for themes or appearance or anything like that. It's just right there. Click what you want, and if you're anything like me, you'll never think about it ever again, and it'll be exactly what you want. Yeah, so that's good. I know that's something they've been working hard on. So mm-hmm. it's nice to see. So now I'm curious about this little feature because they have portals. If uh, if you're unfamiliar, if you haven't read the release notes, portals is basically a way to, they say, keep you in control of how apps interact with each other and your data. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. Sounds like Flat Seal. It does. It sounds very similar to flat seal this is in the same paragraph they're talking about and we enable flat pack right out of the right out of the gate mm-hmm. so that you can have access to the latest and greatest software and all this and then they talk about portals and then you look at that screenshot and you know what it is it's flat seal but it's integrated into the system kind of like how snaps and the controls are integrated into the system of ubuntu right well, and if you're going to do it, I think this makes sense uh, as far as a way to to get it done. It's the right way, and it's very visual. Uh, one of one of the, I think one of the downsides of Flat Seal, though, is that you do kind of have to be knowledgeable about what things are because yeah. it's very text based, right? You read it, and if you know what it is, and you know that you want it on or off, you can do that. But in portals, everything is very visual, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want That's it good. to have access to your camera? Do you? I mean, and and by that, it's literally a, a logo of the camera. So I think. Elementary OS and and the group that deal with this have a very good eye for what's 
easy. And I think that's why I've been salivating over this for so long because they've been doing a lot of these user, I guess, um, what, what's, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like it's very user centric, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah, very, no, that's important. Yeah. Right. It's, it's because if, if we're going to sit here and say, oh yeah, Linux is totally easy for the beginner. Well, it better be. And I think elementary OS nails it on a lot of the points that, you know, people like to complain about. Well, it's too difficult. I don't want to have to ever do the command line. I don't want to have to, you know, learn a new way to deal with things, this or that, whatever. I think elementary, uh, really kind of, That's it good. really hits a lot of these points. Well, I mean, if it wasn't for the user, I mean, what's the point? Well, right. I mean, we are, who, what, what are you making a distro <laughs> for? Who, who are you doing it for if it's yep. not for uh, the people that are going to be using it? Yeah, and so, I mean, well, I don't know. I guess you could make. Uh, you can make it for yourself, but that's that's going to not go to go far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally <laughs> suspect that uh, Hannah Montana Linux was not made for fans of Hannah Montana Linux. I have a feeling it was made for the guy that really likes Hannah Montana. <laughs> but, well, you know, I mean, so certainly there are distros like that. But I mean, you know, these widely distributed ones like elementary are. Certainly ones that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's for the people. It's for the people. Yeah. So there's another thing here that uh, we've had some debate on already before the show oh, yeah. even. Before, oh, yeah. before we hit record, we had debate. And uh, this is definitely for the, for the people as well. Um, and uh, this is something that, uh, you know, is integrated in, mm -hmm. um, but it looks, you know, like it came from somewhere else. And yeah. that's the part that we are debating about. My my the first thing I said about it was like, why does it seem so much like GNOME? Yeah. And so um I'm talking about the gestures though, right? So the gestures mm -hmm. are built in and uh, you know, multiple fingers, you can swipe up, down, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But uh I was like, Yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh it sounds like this other project that I've I've heard about that you can install on on your GNOME desktop. Um and, Oh, but uh, it, but it's integrated into GNOME forty now. It's just part of it. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're rolling with the Ubuntu's, you don't have it yet. But if you're rolling on the Fedoras or the OpenSUSEs or the Manjaros, you have this. Yeah, and exactly. No, no, no. Yeah, so if you're on the 3.38 3 branch um, that Ubuntu has, um, then uh, you don't have this. And you've been wanting it, I'm sure. So um, for everybody that's on a has a trackpad um, mm -hmm. on, a, on a laptop, um, the gestures are pretty nice. Um, yeah, th that's that's where this shines. What I want, okay, is um like a magic mouse or like a way mm. to do these touchy things on a mouse because I see it all the time and I and I'm able to take advantage of it on my ThinkPad. But when I sit down at my desktop, it's a whole different paradigm. I have to deal with it some other way, and I don't want that. I want to be able to. I don't know, man. Maybe it's like a click both clicks and then go a certain direction or something like that. I well, want some things that. do that. I think I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, you know, for, so for my desktop, I just have to enable hot corners. I have to yeah, do it that way. Yeah, that's the way, way to do it. And yep. that's fine, but it doesn't feel as natural or as smooth as, you know, three, four finger this or that. Mm -hmm. so, so what, what, what is this project called? How, how do we, how, what? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm usually the one that butchers these things. It's but touch egg. Touch egg. I think it's touch egg. Okay, all right, so we touché, had this debate. My we friend, touche, it's touche. And we had this debate <laughs> before the show because this is what we were going to talk about, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this thing, touch egg, it's with the forefinger, and then we talk about, you know, gnome and, and go on the thing, and then uh, Dan uh, tells me that uh, there's a there's an accent there's over the accent E on that, yeah. in, uh, it's, it's, in it's, 
touch, but it's not touch. It's touche. So touche. Okay, so so there is no egg involved. Am, am I am I wrong? There, there's no egg involved. Well, you have to hold it carefully. <laughs> so, okay, the way that it's spelled: T O U C H E within with a with an a uh, an accent. G G. Mm-hmm. So if the E is pronounced a eh, or a, then touché. the G's are just out there doing nothing. So you're telling me They're it's silent touché G G. Uh, oh, okay. I just, um, okay. So th- this is where I'm at. This is this is where I'm at. Everybody, touch egg. That's what it touché. is. Touch egg. I'm touch egg. I'm. It's touch egg. It's it's absolutely 100 touch egg. Um, just simply because when you go to GitHub, Jose Exposito, and then slash touch egg. There's no. There's no accent up there. It's just mm-hmm, touch egg. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When when you when you go on the web and you find this, all that's left for you is touch yeah. egg. <laughs> well, touche. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, that's it. So, um, oh man. So, uh, I I really am. I really am excited about all of this. Uh, it just looks so nice. And we we were talking about the the font choice that they made internally. Oh yeah. Which is yeah. very, very similar to the fonts that are used in iOS and Mac OS. Um, but, I, but I really enjoy that. I, I really yeah, enjoy the sleek. way that those fonts. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a sleek font. And I appreciate that that's what they went with in this one. So very cool. You have, uh, so they're, they're messing around with uh, Web, which is formerly Epiphany. They have a, a, the mail app was completely rewritten. Uh, the Tasks app is a new addition to Elementary OS 6. And uh, like most of the other uh, distributions that are, you know, really at the top of your head whenever you're thinking of Linux distributions, the the firmware updates are now built in via LDFS. That's that's good. Just real nice touches that I think, you know, are answering the question of, you know, what what makes a distribution beginner friendly or something for the masses or whatever. And this is it. These are those things, right? Just having all of these things integrated into the system is just such a nice touch that I think we're getting there. The yeah, year I, I think of... it's a lot of attention to detail on and focus on on the user yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, leave leave the UX stuff to these guys. They, they're they're doing fantastic work. All right, you 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 got an iPad, right? Mm, I, no, I'm cheap and I have a <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Kindle. <laughs> okay. Well, what do you use it for though? Is it is it just reading books? Is it Uh no, I have I have the the Fire, you know, the Fire. So, I mean, I'm no, I'm watching watching TV on it. Okay. <laughs> it's fancy, you know. I have the 10-inch. I do read books on it. It, it. You know, it's a great book reader, but it's it's a tablet. So, I'm I'm yeah. Watching TV stuff, um, YouTube videos, I mean, stuff like that, too. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, that, that, I feel like that's pretty typical of a, of a tablet. Yeah, everything that's what you want. Not too do. big, not yeah. too small, just enough to be able to do just about anything on it. Well, um, the deal is Kindle, it's Android, and, mm-hmm. so, yeah, and by extension, it's Linux. But one thing that we have not had is a real actual Linux first tablet, not that one tablet that you can flash Ubuntu touch on, an actual Linux first tablet. And we finally get that with the Jing pad. Mm-hmm. And I had the pleasure of watching uh, Jay LaCroix's Learn Linux TV, uh, his 
preview, not a review. And he will mention that also in the video. But he does a preview of a uh, early edition of the Jing Pad. And, you know, we got we got some really interesting stuff out of this. The weight's comparable to an iPad Air. The build quality is fantastic. USB-C for connectivity and charging. But there's no audio headphone jack, but there is, mm. of course, Bluetooth, kind of the way the mm. the whole industry is kind of shifted over to Bluetooth and not necessarily. That's not a terrible thing for your portable device. It'd be nice to have a plug, but nah, it's okay. Right. I'm okay with it not having a plug. I think by this point, I have so many Bluetooth things that. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, obviously this thing still has a wire, so yep. uh, I could use it. I just, Bluetooth is fine. I'm fine with it. Um, but one thing that you don't really expect out of a device like this is an AMOLED 2K, and that's 20, 2368 yeah. by 1728, which is, I've, I'm not used to seeing that number. Those numbers are weird, but it's yeah, a 4 it's by a 3 strange. aspect ratio 2K display at 350 nits. And that's plenty bright, but... Compared to the iPad Air, which runs at 500 nits, or for, uh, as another reference, uh, the XPS 15 2020 edition is rated at 500 nits as well. That's crazy bright. That's that's kill your battery really fast bright. Right. Um, but if you've got a not that laptop, normal, you know, regular folk laptop, you're somewhere in the two to 400 range in nits. So I mean, it's it's normal. It's, it's, it's right a normal there, amount yeah. of brightness. Yeah. The the ThinkPad I had. Uh, the the ThinkPad, the original screen that came with my ThinkPad, I think was 250 nits, and I thought it was plenty bright. So mm. 350 nits is going to be plenty bright. Uh, comes with eight gigs of RAM, and it's built off of, or it's um, it's branched off of the Ubuntu 2004 ARM edition. Right. So you can kind of see where I'm going here. Yeah. It's regular Linux, as in go install whatever app you want and run it through the terminal or whatever. It's just Linux. We were just talking about this with Steam Yeah, Deck. we just—it's another portable device, um, different focus as far as market, but the same sort of style thing, and uh, you know, another thing delivering convergence. Honestly, probably right because yeah. it's got a USB C um, jack, so um, you could probably hook up some external peripheral things to it as well. Um, not that you need to, it's got Bluetooth. So, I mean, there's plenty of keyboards and stuff that are out there for Bluetooth. So, I mean, typing on it could be decent. I could see taking notes, um, with something like this probably. Um, yeah. One, one of the things that, that Jay had in the video was that, um, if you've ever seen the, the commercials or whatever for the iPad, it's got that little magnetic, um, yeah. uh, I guess a jacket thing that has a keyboard yep. built into it. And I mean, I, I use one of those for work. It's very good. I mean, the, the feeling is that's okay. It's, it's fine. Um, but the, the fact that they've already thought that far ahead, they've got mm -hmm. the connector on the back of the tablet that will, that will, uh, once it magnets in, it's just, it's basically a laptop at that yep. point. And I mean, a little that, mini that, laptop, but nice. Yeah, well, eleven inches, right? I think is what the uh, what the size of the screen is. And I mean, if you're looking for a smaller XPS, or you're looking for you know the X1 Carbon or something like that, right? I mean, you're, that, that's right in the the yeah, range of right size there. that we're looking at. But I think one of the killer features of this thing is that it's preliminary, but there is Android app support as well. 
So in in the video, I mean, he mentions that it's that it's preliminary, but in the video he talks about, um, or he actually goes in and installs Candy Crush. Okay, <laughs> it works and it works fine. So I mean, you, you speak of that, and like you know, Anbox support and in the in you know the tools that are that are coming along to to help you get your Android apps installed on you know these types of things um, has really come a long way. So I I think that's good. It brings in a whole whole nother section of applications for this style of device um that you're not going to get through the regular repositories right so yeah i i think that's this is good this is real good yep and they have a store um so you Mm -hmm. know what what, what's funny is i was watching the store how it worked how it functioned what it what it looked like and it totally reminded me of our time with deepin yeah and I mean, it, it, it was exactly that. I mean, it was laid out very similarly to how Deepin was laid out at the time. And I mean, it honestly, it makes sense. I mean, most stores are just web, you know, web yeah, backends, yeah. right? So why not? Why not yeah, leverage that? Doesn't bother me none. I mean, it's you all know? it's all good stuff. So if I weren't saving up change for the Steam Deck. Mm-hmm. It is very possible I would have thrown my money at something like this. I can see that. What I'm thinking is uh, I get a Steam Deck this year, maybe, you know, well, I don't know. Okay, maybe maybe not even this year because it depends, right? I guess uh, some of the first batches are going out in December. Some of the second batches are going out in January, maybe even later. But um, so, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll get a Steam Deck and maybe wait a year. And then get me a JingPad because JingPad's not even not not ready, ready. As in, they still got a lot of work to do. But I think the Steam Deck is kind of in the same kind of in the same boat, where yeah. there, there's yeah, engineering that's not be that ready still until needs to January, be done. maybe probably for the masses, maybe right. February so we, for the we masses. know Steam Deck is going to be shipping at the beginning of 2022. Yeah, we don't know that about JingPad. No. Uh, so I, I guess your only other alternative here is is to get like the Pine stuff, but like supply is limited on those things. So right. Um. Yeah, you just you just don't have a lot of. There's not a lot the, of. To be honest stuff with you, though, there, I, th- right? I think I think the Pine stuff is way more for tinkerers, and it is. I, I it think is. JingPad is going for a different demographic. Yeah, this is not for a tinkerer. Yeah, this is this is a full blown experience. Right, this is for people that want a tablet that works that they don't have to mess with that has a store that if I mean obviously if you want to get down and dirty with it you absolutely can if you want to flash mm-hmm. different operating systems on it you can do that too, but uh, it's not that. That's not. I would imagine it's true. Uh, target demographic. They're they're going for the Android demographic. Anybody that would buy an Android tablet, Which maybe the Jing those tablet. Are, those are abysmal. Uh, honestly, <laughs> some of them are pretty terrible. Yeah, they I, are. I, I really, I really wish Google still made something like the Nexus Seven. That was a good. Tablet. That was a good I tablet. Still have yeah, that it tablet. was. It's a. Mm-hmm. I still use it from time to time. Um, it it. It's a. It was a good tablet. Um, the so, closest thing is is the is the Kindle stuff, and that's kind of locked down. It's it's got its problems. Don't get me wrong. Right. But it's the closest thing I think you can come to. Right. And you know, honestly, I bet you that that is the kind of thing that you thought whenever you bought that Kindle in the first place was. I mean, you know, we have choices. Are they good choices? No. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, you settled on a Kindle, right? I mean, at the I end did. of the day, you settled on a Kindle. Um. I think now with the JingPad, the the moment that thing launches, I think we have another good choice to consider. 
And yeah, if I've got extra money floating around, I might just pick one up just because. And 4x3 is really nice. I like 4x3 as uh, as far as aspect ratio goes. Uh, I thought I would I thought I wouldn't like it. I thought I would want a wider screen, but uh the more and more that I played with the uh the iPad that I use for work, uh the more I got used to it and the more I kind of prefer now the squarer screen. Mm-hmm. So I think they did right. I think uh I think the choices that they made in the hardware in the Jingpad is just really good stuff uh from top to bottom. Yeah, the um, hardware is, is impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this thing. I'm excited for people to actually get the real units whenever that's going to be. And really come out with some reviews so I can make a decision on whether or not I need one of the. Okay, I don't need one. <laughs> I don't, very None few people actually need one. <laughs> yeah. But um, do I want one? Yeah, mm-hmm. It's starting to look like I am. Cover your kids' eyes, Dan. Cover them. Cover um, them. Uh, yeah, I'll cover my eyes. Ba- bad things are happening. Bad. Absolutely terrible. Terrible. So um, this one actually is a little surprising to me because uh, this, this comes from Apple and... Uh, that's a company that uh, kind of prides themselves in privacy and security and things Look, of I, the nature. I dropped app. I, I dropped Android to come mm-hmm. over to the Apple stuff side because it seemed to me that because Apple wasn't in the business of selling your data, mm-hmm. that they would consistently provide better privacy. I know every single company is out there doing you know weird shady things. But yeah. I, it just seemed to me that Apple was going to be the lesser of the two evils, I guess. Well, they have less motivation to sell your stuff. So, right. Yeah, they're they're more about providing you a service. Right. So, right. um, that that's their primary motivation, right? So I can exactly. understand that. So, yeah. So we're talking Apple's new expanded protections for children. Mm-hmm. And it's done for the kids, Dan. It's for it's the kids. To protect the kids. That's important. It's exactly. So we know that uh, we obviously, Dan, you and I, look at me in the eyes. You know, mm-hmm. me and you, we know this this technology will never, ever be expanded out mm-hmm. to allow law enforcement or governmental agencies, mm-hmm. a la PRISM, to be used for something other than protecting the kids, right? I mean, that's what this is about. It's about mm-hmm. protecting the kids. Never, ever. Would they go outside of that? Yeah, I'm sure not. You know, sometimes sometimes good intentions go a little too far. Yeah, and so so the, that's that's the crux, right? Like you, we've seen a lot of things on the web up now. I mean, uh, the EFFs talked about it. Ars Technica's talked about it. Um, you've got one of the privacy guys that uh, tends to dig into a lot of these things. Hackerfactor.com, you know, is talking about it, and that's it, right? So here here's here's the deal. If you are a user of iCloud Photos, <laughs> that's, that's everybody by that's default. Everybody that's everybody that's got turn an it Apple off, device, yeah. <laughs> that's you. Um, if you have, or or if you will, communicate to a child via iMessage, and that, that includes mm. anybody 13 and younger, and there's also gray area between 13 and 18, um, or if you are a child using iMessage, so that same demographic, what's going to happen is, well, well first off, Images in general, and, and you know the kind of images we're talking about. Images, children, same mm-hmm. conversation. Those kinds of images, right? And and I agree. Those kinds of images have really no place anywhere. They, they, don't, they, they don't belong. You're right. You're right. But here's, here's what they plan on doing. Um, hashing photos is a fine thing. But if you're trying to match up photos 
with known exploitative photos, hashing like MD5 and Shaz is not going to work, right? Because you change one bit in that photo, right? You re uh, you re-encode it from ping to JPEG. Yeah. And now the hash is totally different, and there's no way to actually detect whether or not those two photos are similar at all. They're, Apple is using a perceptual hashing algorithm that kind of takes out that ambiguity. So um, they, they take images that look similar, and their hashes are likewise similar. So you these, these photos that look similar to other photos that exist, uh, yeah. exploitative photos, it'll get flagged. And then some human will take a look at it and Oof. decide whether or not it's exploitative or and, not. And, and so that'll work to perfection, I'm sure. A hundred percent, because Tumblr, when they did it back in 2018, totally got it right. Uh, groups were not uh, wholly banned for any reason whatsoever dealing with photos at all. I mean, come on, really? I mean, artistic Photos yeah. and exploitative photos are totally in separate leagues that they would never even, never even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just those those lightsabers in, don't cross. Things man. in literally bad light could probably be perceived as something that could fall into this category, right? Right. And okay, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But Google Drive does this already. When you store a photo mm. in Google Photos, um, and Dropbox does this already. When you put images and videos in Dropbox, yeah, I know. But that's so not my device. That's not my oh, device, Leo. That's the thing. That's their device. And now it's on device. Uh, it's now on your device. But I know what you're also saying because I said the exact same thing. But but we have Microsoft Defender that scans things on device, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, try turning Microsoft Defender off, running your up, your updates, rebooting, and tell me Microsoft Defender's still off. Tell me. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. It ain't. And if you're running Mac OS Gatekeeper, right? I mean, that's always on. You can't even turn it off. You don't even get the ability to like go deep down into the the macOS registry and turn Gatekeeper off or anything like that. There's just you just don't. So, but that's that's the deal, right? That the internet so, is now rustling with whispers of overreach and anti-privacy mm -hmm. rhetoric and all around distaste for Apple's latest move, right? And even though they haven't implemented it yet, but yeah, it's not there yet. It's not. It's coming out in iOS 15, which is not available on any devices. I think you might be able to get it in like an alpha beta test or something like that. Um, but the EFF has spoken out about it. and Good for them. I tend to align with the EFF in almost everything, and this one is no different. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you know. You I can agree with you. I think this is, a, this is a reach a little too far. I uh, don't mind, you know, doing the protection for the, for the kids. But uh, at the same time, maybe not uh, reach into my device to do so. Right. So at least right now you can turn off, uh, well, in iOS 15, right now you can turn off iCloud Sync. And as far as I understand, then it won't reach into your, your device and, and look. But that really seems like that's not necessarily the case because when you have uh, someone that's flagged as a child in the, in, in mm -hmm. the iCloud ecosystem sending images to somebody else, it has to check. Right. I feel like this should be an opt-in sort of thing, um, you know, right. a, a service you want to opt in for for your your child potentially, or you know, you, you know, whoever your guardian of, um, and and you basically set their device up, right? Because it's in your care, and you entrust it to your child, or you know, whatever. I feel like if you want to opt into this sort of service, that would be okay, but it should yeah. not be. 
you know, already turned on for me. Yeah, and I think I think that's the general consensus of where we sit on the Linux side or the open source and the free open source side of stuff is that you know if if it's gonna if it's gonna do anything on my device or gonna do anything with my data, then it needs to be opt in rather mm-hmm. than opt out. But we know that opt in stuff tends to get ignored a lot of times, so I imagine that's why they're going with opt. And it's not even really opt out. It's yeah, you can't opt out. Yeah. Well, yeah, sort, sort of. of. Kind and of, and but yeah, nothing is set in stone just yet. And so what I'm what I'm hoping is <laughs> the outcry that we've heard these past couple of weeks is going to put a dent on this and maybe, just maybe, change some minds about the way that this works. I mean, iCloud scanning already exists. When the photo goes to iCloud, it's already scanned, and it goes for every other, every other service out there. Yep. Nobody else that I know of is doing on-device scanning. Mm-hmm. And that is really where the line is drawn, I think. It's my device. So, mm, ah, man, it's tough, right? Because now you have to argue with, so you don't like the kids? So you don't want to protect the kids? And, yeah, I do. I, I absolutely do. But I also like my privacy as well. Yeah. So, I might even turn it on if, if given, given the opportunity, but I want to make that choice myself. Yeah, I think that's really kind of it because, you know, to be honest, deep down, I really don't care too terribly much. It's the fact that the choice is made for me that I really, that that's what leaves a sour taste in my mouth. Because I'm like you. I mean, honestly, if I was presented with it, I'd probably flip it on. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but mm, 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 mm. Mm. so it does, it does the scanning and iMessage as well. So that, that's, that's the other thing, right? Like, so if, um, if, um. If you've uh, got, if you're on iOS 15 and you've got parental controls on and you send an image that gets flagged in the system, um, then it's going to tell you, hey, your parent's going to know about this particular photo and it stores it on your device and then your parent can come review that particular photo or whatever. But that kind of breaks their promise of end-to-end encryption now, doesn't it? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're inspecting the, the thing somewhere along the way, then... Right. Yeah, that's not so end-to-end, is it? Right. So, I mean, like, the way we understand end-to-end, I mean, in well, in, in Linux and any, anywhere, is that I see it, and then it is encrypted, and then you see it when it is right. unencrypted. If there is a third party able to see the contents of that message, it ain't end-to-end encrypted. No, so, that's a man in the middle. <laughs> right. So they kind of they kind of weasel worded a little bit on here because they say that if they scan it before it's encrypted, it's still end to end encrypted. Mm. And my thought is, no, it needs to true. always be encrypted. So that's like yeah, shoulder kinda... surfing something, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's exa- exactly what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So mm, a tough one. I mean, I, I think just generally a tough one to argue against. But yeah. Mm. That hurts. Yep. Yeah, it sure does. So, huh, well, 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 I'm going to keep an eye on this one. I don't like it, but we'll see where this goes. Yep. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Time to change your sheets, Dan. Look at those sheets. Yes, we'll change them. The Linux and open source community has some fantastic members, and we want to make sure to highlight that. Our showcase this episode has the Open Source Security Podcast. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of this one, Leo. We have not discussed it before. I have not. 
If uh, if you think we don't get off into the weeds of security enough, uh, this podcast is for you. Kurt and Josh uh, take a deep dive into all things security and open source, so I highly recommend this. We have some great conversations, and it isn't totally dry conversation, but they do get you to think seriously about a serious topic. And I know you take security very serious. Uh-huh. So episode 283, when vulnerability disclosure becomes dangerous. Yeah, that 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 they actually talk about, uh, you know, physical violence that may, you know, or used to happen after you've disclosed some sort of vulnerability um, mm. in, in something, because some some folks don't want you necessarily disclosing everything. Well, is this not? Exactly the problem that journalists have when mm-hmm. they're exposing some it, truth. Exactly that, like that. Exactly. When, when you speak truth to power, I mean that's that's the kind of thing that you that you go up against a lot of times. And I mean, if if that if you are someone that's researching vulnerabilities of a big company, mm-hmm. and that big company doesn't need that exposed or want that exposed. I mean, may not resort to physical violence, but I mean, they're going to threaten you with lawyers and they're things gonna like that to something. keep it yeah, on the lawyers. Yeah, to keep it money, on the download. Yeah, so yeah, you're you're going to hurt somehow. Yeah, and so that was their most recent episode, and it was it was uh, a good episode. Yeah, I, I got to go listen to that one now. I'm I'm really curious. You you should really listen to this. It's a, it's a good podcast. They talked about the audacity thing a while back. And again, that was one that, uh, you know, that that developer, you know, when they spun off the uh, fork. Right. Speaking tenacity, of physical right? violence, right? Same thing, right? Same sort of deal. And so uh, that isn't totally what they focus on, but it's very good, very good podcast. And uh, right. I, I like it a lot. I think you will. Feel free to send your emails to contact at linuxuserspace.show and we can have a discussion about them like we did earlier in our feedback section. We appreciate all our sponsors on Patreon. And if you would like to join them in supporting the show, head on over to patreon.com slash Linux Userspace. Please follow us on Twitter at Linux Userspace to get all the latest announcements for this show and the highlights for things that impact your user space. Uh, please jump on over to our Telegram group, another great place to uh, discuss things with us. And you can join us at linuxuserspace.show slash Telegram to continue the conversation. You're also welcome to join us in our Matrix channel and uh, join the chat there. We have we had great discussion this week. It'd be uh, it'd be great to have more of you there. And I'll have links down in the show notes. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been installing Element everywhere. Uh, I don't I didn't typically do that. It was just on my phone. Mm-hmm. And this this past week, I, it was the Arch thing, man. I'm um, mm. like, oh, well, what's in, what's in the repos? Oh, Telegram's there. Oh, Discord's there. Oh, Element's there. Oh. So right I just, there in the, right there. And now Element, I've just sprayed Element everywhere. Yeah. You know what else is in the repos, Arch repos? Uh, mm? Discord. I know. I, I couldn't believe it. Like, it's Really? Like in the actual repo? You don't have to go, hey, you are this thing. It's, just, oh, so, it's right so there. Uh, Arch is great for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so jealous. Anyway, right there, Discord. You can also join us. We have a Discord um, channel. And uh, welcome to join us there. I'll have links in the show notes. Turns out that's where you can take advantage of some of the Patreon perks. Mm-hmm. You can get your own little private channel over there on our server. Lastly, don't forget to rate this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. And like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. You can always get more information at our website linuxuserspace.show. Yeah.
Time to focus. Focus time. Focus. Get it focused. Not an app. Not an app. I don't have an app for you this time. I, I decided well, kind of uh, we're just we're not doing an app. It's no, it's it's a it's an app in an app. Okay, so so it's, it's an uh, app for an app. It's yeah. Okay, okay. I'll give you that. It's an extension. It's Privacy Badger. So here's the deal. I've been saying for a long time. You need to be using Firefox because they have uh, tracking protection. You need to be using Vivaldi or Brave or any other browser besides Chrome. But look at you. Look yeah. at you. Look at you, listener, right now, YouTuber. You're watching it in Chrome, aren't you? Aren't you? But it works so good. Terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Stop doing that. I'm just kidding. Keep watching in Chrome. But do, do me a favor. Go install Privacy Badger mm-hmm. as an extension into Chrome. Because while it's not Firefox, it's not Vivaldi, it's not Brave, I care about you. Don't get tracked. Don't 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 do that. Don't don't give up your privacy on the web when you don't have to. And yeah, Chrome is still gonna do Chrome things, but with Privacy Badger, you're able to surf the web from page to page to page to page that are not related to each other, and those pages will no longer know where you came from, where you're going, what you've been looking for on Amazon.com. Yeah, don't leave that cookie trail behind you. Right. And so that's the whole thing, right? I can't get you to stop using Chrome. And I really don't want to. I want you to willingly move over to the browser. Maybe you could at least use Chromium? Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. So if you're on the Linux side and you're like, I don't want Chrome. Let me go get Chrome. It's the same thing, please. But... You're install right. Privacy Badger on it, on Chromium, mm. and at go. the very least, you'll make me happy. <laughs> because I think, because I think that's what you want. It'll make it a better, better experience for you, too. You, everybody out there just wants to appease Leo. I, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But, oh, totally. <laughs> but totally. that's the deal, right? So Privacy Badger is tracking protection. It's by the EFF. Um, so if you, if you even have a modicum mm-hmm. of trust for the EFF and what they stand for and what they're out there doing then you know Privacy Badger, at the very least, is giving you good, trustworthy code. I mean, and you would want it because you want to stay private on the internet. Your information is your information. Yeah. And I don't use it because I just turn Firefox on to strict, and that takes care of it for me. I don't yeah. need an additional add-on to handle that. Vivaldi um, does that for me, too. Right, and Vivaldi's hanging out there uh, taking care of Dan's privacy. And if you're using any other browser out there that has tracking protection in it, it's likely almost, if not as good as Privacy Badger out there. But if you're using a browser that doesn't really have any of that in mind, right? I'm pretty sure Microsoft Edge doesn't have this. I'm pretty... Oh, I'm. I think the new Edge does have some some things. I don't know how far they go with it though. Mm, so you okay. may you may still want it there, um, but. Uh, definitely if you're running like bare bare chromium or chrome yeah um those don't have it at all that's not even an option right i mean well it's it's not supposed to be right i mean no, well, no. on it's top of that supposed i mean to sell your stuff all over the internet right and i mean <laughs> I, I think most websites are going to drop third party tracking or i mean third party cookie tracking uh soon yeah hopefully yeah it, well in favor of flock so i don't know if privacy badger is going to going to uh deal with any of that i don't imagine it would but it's only going to affect chrome users anyway right but um at least in the interim until third-party tracking cookies are gone from the internet 
privacy badge is going to help you out and yeah. keep keep your private stuff private, right? I mean, things that you think and things that you search and all that kind of stuff. Other websites don't need to know that. Google's going to know that because, well, obviously, you're probably searching it in Google in the first place. But, I mean, other websites don't need to know that. So do yourself a favor and protect yourself just a little bit. And that's that's all I ask. Give yourself a little Keep bit of Keep Leo happy in the process. Well, I mean, that's just a side effect. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that helps. So, uh, Dan, I mean, we, we usually ask the question, are you going to use it? Are you going to use it? I mean, we, we've decided that we don't need it because Vivaldi has tracking protection. And for me, yep. Firefox has tracking protection. But if I were forced to use Chrome on a day-to-day um, because I didn't have a choice or something like that, you better believe I'm installing Privacy Badger on it. I agree. I think uh, I think it needs something there. So this fills the bill nicely. Sure does. All right. Uh, next time we will talk about our experiences with Arch um, Linux. And uh, Leo says not a distro. Still, it's not I can't a convince him. It's not. I, I don't agree. But uh, you, 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 that's fine. You can be wrong. It's okay. Arch I'm... is is not a distro. I mean, when you got to cobble it yourself. When you got to put it together but... yourself and you, you have to go in there and like configure every single configuration file that you that you have. I mean, that's just not a distro. Nah, we'll <laughs> uh, agree to disagree on this and uh, okay. continue that conversation. It's like next it's like time, a, right? it's like a meta distro. I mean, so you could still use the word distro, but it's like it's like a meta distro. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why you're wrong even more on the next episode uh, when we when we dive into Arch. Sounds good. I'm, I've been having a good, good experience and so much so that uh, I'm actually thinking about installing it again. Ooh, and I, I agree. I'm having a great time over on Arch. I did not think. I was going to be okay with Arch. I didn't think that all the hard work and all the cobbling together and all the configuration and all the system control enabled whatever's was going to be enjoyable for me. It wasn't mm. the first time. <laughs> but no, I think no. but I think having gathered a lot of skill in Linux over time, yeah. that has really smoothed over the transition to Arch. So I mean, it you know, gets easier the... every time I do it. Yeah. I can say that. So yeah, you're you're not wrong. But the reason I'm going to try it again and try installing it again is because I'm going to use the new fancy uh, installer script right. thing, um, which is configurable, by the way. Uh huh. So, you, but you got to get down and dirty to configure it, right? You do. It's not, okay. you know, yeah. It's, it's well, not. obviously, if you're going to configure something in Arch, it's going to be hard to do. So, I mean, there you go, right? But I think it makes the process uh, probably a little more easily repeatable um, right. so that you don't miss a step, which is kind of nice. Are you saying that there are OEMs or groups out there that would want to mass deploy Arch? Well, maybe on a handheld device even. Oh, my goodness. What kind of handheld device runs Arch? Wait a minute. That's a Steam Deck. Okay. Okay. That works. <laughs> <laughs> so join us next time. We'll continue the conversation. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for your support. Uh, where can we find you on the interwebs, Leo? Uh, you can get me ooh, on the interwebs. That's a different question. You can find me leochavez.org or at leochavez on Twitter. All right. Well, you can find me. Um, uh, We'll just go with my Twitter, at Casey2BEasy. Make sure to at him. You can at me about some stuff, but mm, I think it's mostly Leo. Yeah, yeah, because it's not a distro. Yeah, it totally is. Anyway, 
Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. Ah, constant tweaking, though, right? Uh, always I do love twiddling it. this, that, or the other thing to make it. Oh yeah, I missed that over here. Oh yeah, look, I can, I can add that. That's nice. The amount of times I had to re-charute into mm, my. I only did that uh, two, two times. So the first time, um, you not only need to do the make init. You know, CPIO thing. You also need to create a, a grub uh, um, config file. And if you, you forget to do that, you'll end up in the grub prompt. Like, I installed grub. Yep. No, operating system found. Oh, no. No, no, it just dumps you right. It actually, no, it actually just dumps you at the grub prompt. Like, if you install mm. grub, then it's like, yeah, there's no config here. I don't That's know right. what to do. Yeah, like, Dan, so yeah. I wouldn't know what to do either because I didn't make that mistake.